Welcome to Within Your Ken. I'm your host, Ken Weinberg. Today's show is the first in a series of four podcasts on the subject of project planning. Anyone can be a project planner. That's right, I said anyone, even you. By project, I mean anything that needs to be done to achieve a final result. For the individual, it could be anything from a vacation, a major purchase, a construction of a new house. The possibilities are endless. What you'll learn in this series of podcasts will increase the probability that your project will be completed on time, on budget, and with good quality. A complete set of project activities includes initiating, planning, executing, controlling, and closing. In this series, we'll be discussing the planning activities, and we'll be covering topics in the same order that you would when you're actually planning a project. At the end, you'll be well-armed to plan projects with more confidence. You'll also know where to turn to for more information about other project activities besides planning. I know you're itching to get started, but before we do, there are a few general project management concepts we need to understand first. First, let's talk briefly about project management in general. For years, scholars of project management have been working on finding a perfect model or methodology for projects to increase their chance of success. The most successful methodology is the one published by the Project Management Institute, or PMI. It's called the Project Management Body of Knowledge, or PMBOK. It's a very complete treatment and it's quite long and complex. Do working project managers use 100% of what's in the PMBOK on their projects? The PMBOK really advocates a methodology of planning, execution and testing and final remediation. I think those phases stay the same, but depending on the size of the project and the complexity and whether we're moving to a more innovative practice like Agile, the amount or the extent to which PMBOK applies is less or more, but generally between 40 to 60 percent. That was Sarah Ram Kassoon, Senior Project Manager. Selecting the methodology to use on a project is a decision all project managers must make early in the process. The project management body of knowledge is not law, but it's a good tool to know. What we'll cover in this series is the core of the PMBOX planning methodology, which is common to almost all projects. Planning before beginning executing is very important. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Many people skip detailed planning and jump right into execution. That might work if you're repeating the steps in a previously successful project, but there's always a risk it won't. Planning takes time, more time than you'd expect, and planning isn't always done before execution. Sarah had this to say about the ratio of planning time to execution time. 70% of my time is planning, but the truth about planning is that I'm planning up until the day we go live, because no matter how well you plan, and how much experience you have and how many times you've seen it before, there's always new things as you go through execution that you uncover. 
just like if you're building a house, you discover that your electrical is not up to code and then you have to do some replanning and readjusting of your budget and everything else. So planning generally 70% of the time, but it takes place throughout the entire phase, both the planning and execution phase of the project. At a high level, there are six main project planning activities. As you progress through the podcast in this series, each of the six items will be discussed in roughly the same order that you would logically do them when actually planning a project. This week's podcast covers defining the project. In the podcasts that follow, we'll discuss creating the work breakdown structure, estimating the project, determining dependencies, planning the schedule, and managing project change. Planning a project begins with some simple questions, like, why are we doing this? What are we going to accomplish? Who is affected by this? How will we know if it's done properly? And who needs to be involved? These questions, and many more like them, are important to ask before detailed planning begins. If the project is sponsored by someone else, they will most certainly participate in answering these questions. Why are we doing this? That's the purpose. Is the project solving a problem? Does it help achieve something bigger, like increasing tourism to an island? What are we going to accomplish? This is called the goal, or the objective, of the project. Often it's just called the scope. This what question is as important as the previous why question. Building a bridge to the island would be a suitable goal to the previously stated purpose, increasing tourism. It can be just as important to define what you are not going to do so that there is no misunderstanding. Clearly stating what's in scope and what's out of scope can be the difference between building a pedestrian bridge to the island and building a bridge for traffic. The scope drives the rest of the planning activities and is a guiding light during the project execution to help prevent the project from going over budget or over time. If the plan was to build a shed to hold the garden tools, sticking to the scope will prevent you from getting carried away and building a cottage in the backyard instead. Who's going to be affected by this? The question of who the stakeholders are needs to be answered by thinking of who you are doing the project for. Who needs to provide approval, or money, or equipment, or people, or specifications, or assistance? These are your stakeholders. Know who your stakeholders are, what role they're going to play in the project. Are they responsible for doing or providing something? Are they accountable? Do they receive reports about the project? Are they consulted during the project? Work this out in advance to avoid being blindsided by someone who should have been consulted before the project began, or being held up by someone who you didn't realize needs to provide approval at a critical point in the project. How will we know if we have done it properly? This question is very important. If your significant other says they want a pet for their birthday, how are you going to decide if your project to get said pet is a success? Are you going to bring home a cute puppy only to find out that they want a cat? 
So who needs to be satisfied with the outcome, you or your significant other? A better question to ask is, what exactly defines success in the eyes of the stakeholders? Identifying the decision makers in a project and a clear understanding of their success criteria is critical to having a successful outcome. Start with the objectives and continue with how you're going to measure the outcome and what measurements are considered acceptable. Remove all subjectivity if you can. Let's talk about constraints. Life is full of constraints that we take for granted. For example, like we can't work overtime on Tuesdays because we have to go to a Toastmasters meeting. Another might be that you can't expect people to be as efficient in the last two weeks of December. Since constraints like these are going to impact a project's schedule, they need to be well documented. The approach. There are always alternative ways to approach a project. If you were building a shed, you could order everything you need in advance and then build, or you could have materials arrive just as you require them. Your approach might be to hire the lowest bidder and expect to pay for some mistakes. Or it could be to pick someone with lots of experience who costs more and have fewer mistakes. Each approach comes with pros and cons. When planning the project, consider all the approaches and state which one you are choosing and your reasons why. If you do this in advance of execution, you lessen the chance that you'll think of a better approach after you've started, which could result in wasted time, money, and effort. Risks. Life would be so easy if everything was certain. For one, we wouldn't need statistics and probability, and insurance wouldn't exist. Back here in reality, we have uncertainty. We need to be prepared for things that might happen by documenting the steps to take if they do. All reasonable risks should be documented, along with their probability, impact, and course of action. But what if something happens that you didn't expect? Ah, yes, the unknown unknowns, the things that hold us. This is partially why our estimations for project management is always plus or minus X percentage, depending on what phase you are in the project. It's really to, for that black box of the unknowns. What, this is where the more subtle parts of project management and educating your sponsors and educating your clients and your users is so important. I think part of your subtle messaging has to be always this is what we know at this point and there then when the unknown does happen I think it's important for us to communicate immediately and to let our audience understand why it was not predicted what is the impact of it and what steps have I been able to take to remediate and what steps are left that is either out of my control for remediation or where I might need outside assistance to remediate we all know unknown unknowns are going to happen. I think it's really the communication piece on how you manage it, both in advance of knowing about it and once it happens and materializes. We heard Sarah mention estimates. This is a topic we'll cover later in the series.
let's talk about the assumptions that every project has. Because every project operates in an environment that needs to be stable enough for work to get done. These conditions are assumed so that the project can focus on the daily issues. However, before you can depend on these assumptions, you need to make them explicit and, and have them validated by the client or sponsor. Otherwise, you have an unmanaged risk that can affect the project at any time without any way to deal with it. I work on a lot of projects where I need to document how a product functions. This could be a user manual, installation manual, service manual, online help, and so on. You remember when you recently bought that new gizmo and it came with a manual that you just chucked in the drawer thinking that you'd never need to read it? I wrote that manual. When I'm working on a manual, I usually include an assumption that no changes will be made to the product without notifying the writer. That's me. Management isn't going to keep broken features in the product or stop adding other features at the last minute for the sake of the manual. But you do need a way of sorting out expectations when change happens. This kind of detail balances the expectation to cover these changes in the manual with an obligation to communicate the need. Making it explicit won't guarantee a smooth process, but it will provide a starting point. For example, what happens when there's a mistake in a printed manual? Typically, a printer will work with a customer to find out what caused the mistake. The printer will absorb the cost and redo the work if they made the mistake. However, if you made the mistake, you have to pay extra to have the work corrected. Many other assumptions could be included. You need to customize these assumptions to fit the conditions for each new project. You may recognize some of these commonly used assumptions. Billing will occur on the 15th and 30th of each month, payable every 30 days, commencing on the date a contract is signed. Contract cancellation requires 10 days written notice or payment in lieu. Once the project is approved, changes will require schedule amendments and the negotiation of added charges. The customer will designate a liaison person or alternate to this project who can authorize the work described. While the contractor will make every effort to provide timely, complete, and accurate work, the customer is solely responsible for technical accuracy. In larger projects, these assumptions are worked into contracts and become much more formal. These contracts normally include a section on terms and conditions. Because there's so much at stake, a contract lawyer typically takes responsibility for writing this section. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Tune in next week when we discuss creating the work breakdown structure. Until then, keep on planning. Brought to you by Arethusa's Garden. Stunning jewelry 
and beautiful gifts and crafts from the organic garden. Visit www.arethusasgarden.com.